be fully invested in your relationship, but not to try to control the other person or try to control how the relationship evolves. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon Podcast. I'm your host, Lana Mercedes. And I'm your guest, Maria Copian. Maria is a family law attorney and divorce coach from LA. She's also working on becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she has her own coaching business called Dignified Divorce Coaching, which focuses on helping people divorce with clarity, confidence, and control. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. You have so many accomplishments here. I'm so proud. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've known you for about what, 16 at least years? At I think least. you've got it's been a long time. Pro- <laughs> yeah. I'm like you got a lot on your belt here. This is awesome. <laughs> so I want to jump right into it because we have some amazing things to go over. And I know that since you just started your business with divorce coaching. I just kind of want more information about that because I know I've spoken to you and you have a completely different outlook on divorce and everyone just kind of feeling like that's some type of failure. And then speaking with you, you have a whole different perspective on that. So can we just jump right into that part first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know with divorce coaching, it's a relatively new profession. So I know there's a, a lot of people that aren't too familiar with what it is and how it works, but it's basically as similar to what we do in as as a family law attorney but my goal is to basically help people with their emotional aspects of it as well and also prepare them for the legal process so um, as a family law attorney i know one of the questions that people ask me all the time is why do people even get divorced in the first place or what are some of the reasons for people going for a divorce and i usually tell them i mean there are the obvious reasons So some of those are infidelity, if there's some type of abuse, whether it's physical, verbal, mental abuse, or um, one of the partners maybe has a substance abuse issue, or perhaps I've seen it where a partner has an untreated mental health issue. Maybe they have a bipolar disorder or a different type of condition, and it really wears on the partner in the relationship and ultimately leads to them not really being able to get along anymore. Uh, oftentimes it's money issues, finances, maybe they're not compatible with how they spend their money or where their money goes. Um, other times it's even just dishonesty. So it could be that they're not really forthcoming with their partner or um, you know, they tend to keep things to themselves. And then that obviously doesn't help the trust factor in the marriage. Other times I've also seen it where maybe one of the Going back to the mental health part, sometimes a partner just has a narcissistic personality and that makes it really difficult for the relationship or for the partner to start getting to to get along with each other and they start fighting more or it just makes it more difficult for them to get along. Um, I found other reasons why people get divorced or maybe they just have unrealistic expectations of their marriage or of their partner. Things just start changing over time. Maybe uh, they're just not willing to to make it work anymore. They've kind of given up on the marriage. Other times it's just the lack of appreciation. They don't really feel that they're valued in the relationship. So that leads them to want to just move on because they just no longer feel that they matter in the relationship. Other times it's even sexual intimacy issues. They're just no longer compatible or they're not really forthcoming about what they like, what they want. And that just leads to dissatisfaction. And oftentimes people look for those uh, needs elsewhere, you know, leads to the infidelity issue. Just to jump back a little bit, you mentioned unrealistic expectations. 
And I feel like this is a common thing that happens in all relationships, whether you're married or not. Why, why do you feel like people actually do that? Is it just like a loneliness thing? Are you, you know, maybe falling in love with, you know, the potential of someone? Why do we all do that? Well, I think people have all sorts of expectations about their partner in married life to even begin with. I mean, we usually walk in with some type of picture in our head of how we think things, quote unquote, should be. Um, that's normal. I mean, that's human nature. But while having expectations can be a good thing, it shows that you have standards and there's things that you prefer. Um, the problem is when those expectations don't really match up with what your partner is presenting. So those unrealistic expectations could potentially be damaging and set you or your partner up for failure um, if, it, if it's just something that the person can't meet. So an example I give is if uh, you're expecting your partner to spend all day with you or all their free time with you, and that's just not possible. So usually I think it's just yeah. when things don't turn out the way you want it to be, um, it just makes, it's, it's a very rigid way of being. Which I seem to see a lot, especially with the quarantines going on right now, that, you know, there's families that are not learning how to, you know, allocate their time or they're just feeling like if they're both home that they have to spend all their time together. What do you have any advice for couples that are trying to deal with that, like how they can actually spend their time apart, even though they're at home and not just feel like it all needs to be together? Right. I mean, ultimately, you do need some space or some free time away from your partner, even I mean, with the quarantine right now, it is a little difficult because you can't really go out or do too much. But even if it's just taking some time just to go for a walk or do something that is mm -hmm. away from your partner or even just changing up the rules I've noticed makes a big difference. So if one person's used to doing all of the chores or doing certain things in the household and it's starting to wear on them or they just need a break to switch things up a little bit, maybe your partner will take over some of those. So you get a chance to uh, read a book or watch a, a video on your own or do something that nourishes you so that you can actually okay. feel a little bit better and not be so together. And you're kind of mentally taking a break, so to speak. Do you feel like any of these, um, you know, more common reasons of why people divorce or split up, do you feel like there's any type of balance between, you know, compatibility versus just like a willingness to actually work on the relationship? I think uh, while compatibility is, is great for relationships, I think it does help out the initial connection and really being able to understand each other. Um, I think what outweighs that is just being able to, um, invest in into the partnership and, and doing the work that it takes to keep it growing. So even though you may not be compatible in every way, which is also unrealistic because you're going to be different. You can't be compatible on yeah. every single level, but where that compatibility doesn't match, at least you, you're aware of that and willing to put in the work in the relationship to really um, get it growing and, and continuing in a connected way. And then you also mentioned too, lack of appreciation. Do you feel like that kind of comes into play, making the person that's not feeling appreciated, maybe putting some type of negativity on them? Like what's the importance there of actually appreciating your partner? Well, I think the, the lack of acknowledging your partner can allow them to feel that they're being taken for granted. I mean, you uh, when you don't acknowledge the other, you're essentially assuming that they'll always be there or no matter what you do, that they'll they're they're just going to be okay with it when really you're it, it helps to take a moment and really just notice the little things that they do and actually be grateful for them you know being in the relationship with you and their their efforts and just the things about them that you genuinely like and enjoy i think that helps to have your partner feel that they are being acknowledged and that they do matter 
Right. Part of what I want to do with the coaching is also help people to have a different view on divorce, to essentially redefine it in a way where it's not how society views it as the failure, as you had mentioned earlier in the beginning, Um, because a lot of people do view divorce as a failure of the marriage and they tend to think that the more successful marriages are the ones that have lasted and endured for a very long time. Uh, Longevity is kind of the measure of whether a a marriage is successful or not, Um, but it doesn't take into account the quality of the marriage. So I think that's where I'd like to to help people have some type of uh, paradigm shift. So that Mm -hmm. instead of looking at a marriage as having failed, if it ends in divorce, rather having the focus beyond whether the couple is actually growing within the marriage, um, also within themselves. Uh, if they're becoming a better version of themselves, they're working as a team, maybe they're taking risks and, and reaching their potentials together versus having okay. it seen as um, it ended in X amount of years, therefore it failed. Do you feel like because so many people have such a negative view of divorce, that that is one of the reasons why people stay in the marriage, just because of the, you know, the appearance it may have to people around them? Oh, absolutely. I think people are afraid of being seen as a failure because there's so much shame and judgment that goes along with that. They feel embarrassed that maybe they didn't try hard enough or that they'll be viewed that way. And so um, I think that is one of the reasons why people do stay in marriages, even though they're unhappy. So many people kind of grow up and, you know, their family, their friends, like you said, community, it's like everyone's viewing them as they have failed. How can someone deal with that internally? Obviously, you can't control what people, how people are viewing you, but how can they deal with that internally? Right. And that's a great point. Um, I think it comes with having a understanding that you've given it your all. You've tried everything that you could in the first place. And you're not just throwing in the towel just because you've uh, maybe tried couples counseling or you've read books on trying to save your marriage, or maybe you worked on yourself and hoping that your relationship will um, you know, change in turn. But ultimately, once you decide that your marriage is irreparable and there's nothing further you can do, um, then I think that you just have to stand with conviction and just trust that you've you're doing what you think is best for for yourself, for your family, just moving forward in in a very calm and objective way. I know a lot of people do let the fear of judgment get to them, but this is something where you have to really trust yourself. I'm going to ask you this question that I feel like a lot of people want the answer to, and maybe it's just something that's, you know, relative to every situation, but how do you really know when you've tried everything or you know when you're there's literally nothing else that you can give is it just a feeling that you'll everyone will have for themselves or is there like signs that someone can look for well there's many signs and I think it's different for every relationship and every person um I think sometimes people do decide that it's over more of as a defense mechanism or maybe they've they're drained but they haven't necessarily taken steps to make the marriage work um Some people are advocates of couples counseling. So if you've tried that and you decide maybe that doesn't work or you're still not connecting, um, maybe if you've tried to um, just 
be happy within your own self too. Cause I've noticed sometimes there's, there's all kinds of books on, you know, women's empowerment, for example, where the, if you change right. yourself and you're happier and you're in a better place, then you inspire your partner to kind of match you at your level. I think it's, it's something that, um, of course there are, there are many signs and I could get into that, but it would, you know, we'd be talking for hours if that was right. I think it's, I'll have, sorry, go on. I'll have you on. I'll have you on again, and we can get more into that. Oh, absolutely! No, I, <laughs> or, or they can sign up for your course. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I do have something where it, it's twenty-one questions that you can really reflect on when you're contemplating whether divorce is the right. Uh, if that's the right step for you. So I go okay. into that a little bit more deeply in there. But I think it comes from an intuitive knowing. I think once you know your right. done and you've taken actions to try to save it and maybe reconcile. And if that's ultimately just not working, then mm -hmm. I think at that point, you just have to go with your gut. Okay. Yeah. So other things that I ask people to really consider, I mean, since a lot of people don't go into marriage expecting to get divorced, that's not something we do. Um, so I right. think a lot of the times to help potentially prevent divorce later on down the line. And I say that generally and hesitantly because you, know, you never really know in advance, but I, I really encourage people to think about some of the reasons for why they want to get married in the first place. Um, I think okay. a society kind of pressures us into marriage and I know it's different for everyone, but a lot of times people think that they need to get married because they feel like it's quote unquote time, or maybe their family's pressuring right. them. Um, Perhaps it's just uh, another life accomplishment that you want for yourself. You've graduated, you're in this really great career. So the next logical step for you is just to get married and have kids. It helps when people really reflect on that and, and decide that they want to get married genuinely because they want to share their life with their partner, not because of pressures outside of them, but a, a something, a, a deep desire that they truly want for themselves, which isn't influenced by anything else. Another thing that I strongly encourage people to look at uh, is to marry their life partner and not their soulmates. And what I mean by that is to really take a hard look at the relationship you're in, because the way I define it, and I know this may be kind of uh, you know, controversial for some people, but the way I look at soulmates are people who come into your lives to really shake things up for you. They, they're there to trigger your wounds. They're there to make it into kind of like a, a messy relationship, to really bring certain things up to get you to actually be a better version of yourself. How would you, uh, how would you differentiate the two between saying someone shakes things up versus this toxic up and down, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you know when you're feeling either or? So I think all the relationships start off on a really great high. I mean, that is you're, you're on this really intense euphoric feeling usually, mm -hmm. or you just have a great feeling about the person you're with. You're on this, this high, so to speak, it does wear off because now you're viewing your partner differently. You're viewing the relationship differently. That's normal. I think that those ebbs and flows are perfectly normal. What I'm talking about are these intense highs or when you're, um, basically it's, it's exhilarating on one level and then extremely devastating on another level. And it's just ongoing. It, you ebb and flow with between those intense emotions. I think mm -hmm. that's when the relationship starts feeling very unstable and draining 
And it causes a lot more angst most of the time. I think that's where perhaps the relationship is a little bit more on the either toxic side or more of a, perhaps a karmic connection where you're actually there to rendezvous together and really shake things up for each other. Uh, What I suggest is the more stable route, which is what I look at as a, a life partner, so to speak. So Usually a life partner will come into your life after you've already healed. You, you know, look through your own past. You've worked through some of these woundings. Um, mm-hmm. you, you're totally in love with yourself and your life. You're in this really great place where you're not needing another person. You're just happy to have another person in your life. So I think at that point, you, you still learn from each other, but you don't have these intense highs and lows because you, you connect on a different level. You're both more steady. You're both more secure. Um, that to me is a healthier relationship. And um, some people like the highs and lows and, you know, more problems <laughs> to them. But I think right. if you're ready for a healthy relationship, a healthy attachment, go with a, a life partner. Maybe the people are not toxic, but the relationship together is. And as you mentioned, someone just always feels like that person's going to be there for them. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like that's a main reason why if there's an argument going on that that person, that their partner is the one that's getting the worst of that situation. They're the ones that they're always putting all of that like frustration onto them because they just feel that they're always going to be there. Potentially. Um, I think that is sometimes in relationships, you do look to your partner to be your support system um, where Mm -hmm. if you're going through something, it's just easier to kind of dump on your partner a little bit because you know that there's love there. There's that connection. Um, So it's just an easier person to go to for, for those, but doesn't necessarily mean it's always the best for the relationship. Right. And would you say that if someone, you said that it's best when you are fully healed, you'll meet that life partner. Do you feel maybe not like it's impossible, but maybe better for that person if they are aware of the areas that they need to heal in for them to do that first before they look for someone? Absolutely. And I think that's kind of the whole point of relationships because we, most people go through several relationships where they have these different dynamics, they're bumping and, you know, pushing each other and, and, and through those conflicts, we're hopefully learning as we're going, we're basically Mm -hmm. growing, we're changing, we're figuring out what we like, what we don't, what works for us and what doesn't so that we can take those lessons into the next relationship. Um, So of course, as we're growing, we're going to have these different types of relationships. But ultimately, I think a sign that you are in a healthy relationship is when you feel like you've already worked through a lot of those issues and we're never fully healed. So I think there's always room to grow anyway. But with somebody and it's just comfortable, it's secure, you don't have these intensities, but yet you're still fully connected. I think that's when you know you've you've done a good work with with working on yourself. And then also how how would one know the difference between maybe wanting this partner or feeling like the partner is adding to their life versus maybe needing them or feeling dependent upon them? I think a lot of that has to do with perhaps codependency issues. Um, and I know there's a whole area of psychology dealing with codependency and relationships, but I think right. when it comes down to the attachment that you feel. So if you have, um, if you're constantly looking to your partner, if you're always, maybe you have a sense of jealousy, maybe you have a certain anxiousness towards your partner, then to me, that seems more of a triggered in, in the codependent type of way or a codependency type of relationship versus when you're completely, when you're secure, or at least you don't feel these intense emotions on a regular basis. You're more trusting. You um, have, you're more confident in your relationship. I think that's when it's a more secure type of attachment. 
as we are talking about ways to actually make a marriage work and why we should get married in the first place, how do we start off in the beginning? Like, how do we actually make a relationship work to start with? That's a really great point. I think from having seen so many different divorces and um, what has led to the ultimate ending of the relationship, there's a few points that I've gathered that I think are really useful in helping a couple stay together versus ending up in a divorce. One of them is to be honest with yourself about what you want and to find ways of expressing what you want to your partner. So what I mean by that is that most of the time people aren't really honest with themselves about what they want, you know, what works for them, what doesn't, or they feel as though they can't communicate it to their partner. So I think when it comes to honesty, it helps to speak, speak your truth in a vulnerable way. Uh, vulnerability actually helps with connections. It's just a matter of um, how you communicate it and having your partner be receptive to it. Do you feel like people do not want to communicate their expectations because they're afraid maybe that person cannot meet them and then they're going to lose them? Absolutely. I think that's a common fear that a lot of people have um, because it's also scary to be vulnerable, to really pour your heart out and to be uh, that raw in a way. It, you're afraid of letting somebody really see you. Okay. There's a lot of highs and lows, as we mentioned, with relationships. Um, do you feel like those highs and lows for certain people maybe blind them or distract them from their own issues and they and that's maybe a reason why they like those that toxic part of a relationship absolutely i think some people enjoy it, or even if they don't enjoy it, i think on a subconscious level it it feels familiar to them um mm. again there's a whole field of psychology about attachment theory and everything but basically what i like to think is that with every argument or with every irritation to look at it as an invitation to look inwards to actually okay. look at it as a way to self-reflect and try to identify the roots or the, the the reason why you have certain buttons that are being pushed going back to the um other ways to keep a relationship or how to make a relationship work i think it helps to periodically renegotiate the terms of your relationship what i mean by that is kind of what we we're talking about earlier where we walk into relationships with certain expectations or acknowledging certain things that we like about our partner but again as time goes on the person changes circumstances changes so sometimes when we like a certain thing about our partner, it may or may not be working for us later on down the line. For example, maybe you're um, with a man who likes to travel often. It's very interesting to you. You think it's exciting. But as time goes on, let's say you get married and you have kids, but your partner's traveling all the time and gone. So they're no longer there to really help you in the, the family dynamic. That's an right. example of sometimes how things change in a in a relationship so maybe it would help to sit down and actually talk to your partner and figure out are there certain terms that maybe you need to reconsider or certain ways of being with each other that perhaps you can shift so that it does work for your relationship you know this actually makes me think of say the wife goes to the husband and says you know you're gone all the time and he says it's not as bad as you as you think it is you know or, or maybe minimizing your partner's feelings in a situation you know, denying their experience, how, how would someone handle that? Is that a form of gaslighting? Is it just like their, their inability to see someone else's side? Yeah, it's definitely a, a form of gaslighting. It does take a lot of courage to open up and to be, again, vulnerable and to express how you feel about it. And so if your partner's making you feel ashamed or belittling you for having let your guard down or for being open about it, it does make it difficult. 
there are ways to deal with that type of situation. I think rather than telling somebody what to do at this point, uh, it would just be something to definitely keep in mind and, and to be aware of how your partner's responding to, to your vulnerability or to your honesty and whether they're even willing to come to the table to perhaps talk about that and, and see if there's ways you can address that issue together as a couple. Okay. Do you feel if there are partners that one partner wants to take the initiative to say go to therapy or wants to sit down and you know come up with these I don't want to say pros and cons but coming up with a list of like areas where maybe they can work on and another partner finds it corny or you know doesn't want to engage in that type of behavior is there a way to kind of meet in the middle is that just like the partner's not willing to contribute or is this just a you know, a foreign concept for them. And maybe there's something else that they can do. Right. And that makes sense. Um, so everybody's different. So they won't have the same ways of coming together, so to speak, because maybe lists work for one partner, but the other partner would feel better approaching it in a different way. I think what matters is that both people are willing to try to meet halfway or at least have an open discussion about what they can do to at least work through the relationship. And I think whatever it is, if, if, if it is making lists or if it is taking your partner's approach and seeing if that works, I think that's still a good first step. I think what the problem is when one partner isn't even willing to work on the relationship in the first place, that that's, that's a significant problem. If, if none of that works, then I'm an advocate of trying the whole, take a step mentally away from the relationship, just to kind of work on you, you know, make yourself happy, do whatever it is that lights you up, do a lot of self-care, don't focus so heavily on the relationship in and of itself, um, but focus more of your attention on you and see if maybe that inspires change. Okay. So not maybe necessarily a break from the relationship, but just a chance to help yourself. Exactly. And once you obviously become more fulfilled, you can Mm -hmm. produce more energy into the relationship. Right. So just redirect your focus. I think that's more of what I meant rather than an actual break. (laughs) (laughs) There, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are for relationships that take these breaks. Do you feel, again, is it something that's more relative or is it once you have to get to the place where you're taking a break completely, is there a chance for the relationship to still, you know, kind of work out from there? Again, it's hard to say. Um, it's a case by case basis. My personal opinion is I think if you're having to actually take an actual break from the relationship, that there's a deeper problem there. Because I think once you're in a relationship, especially married, you don't have the luxury of saying, oh, well, we're on a break. I can go do whatever I want. I think right. you'll have to remain in the marriage. Um, but I think it helps to, again, redirect your focus so that you are perhaps taking, um, you know, you're focusing more on you versus the relationship and your partner and all the things and all your grievances about them. Got it. Okay. So besides renegotiating the terms, I think other things that would help is to change the the narrative of your relationship, or at least make sure that it's a more positive one. What I mean by that is maybe uh, try to remember the good times that you have in your relationship and the love that you felt. So focusing on the good qualities of your partner, the things that you're grateful for, that actually helps keep the relationship on a positive tone versus focusing a lot on the things that you don't like or the things that annoy you about your partner. Okay. With that, I think it's a good segue into the next point, which is to not hold on to grievances. We all have things that we don't like. There's things about our partner or certain things that don't 
that either annoy us or maybe hurt us in the past, but to hold on to those grievances, I think does more harm. Um, so if you can perhaps get yourself in a position where you can forgive and also forget, I think that a lot of times people say, oh, I forgive, but I don't forget. I think holding on to the right. memories of it, just keep it going or keep it lingering so that you're more likely to be triggered over and over and over again. So once you've kind of worked through an argument or worked through something, try to really just let it go and, and don't always try to focus on being right. I think with that, it's important to learn how to compromise. So I'm guessing a good example of that would be someone's unfaithful in the relationship, the other partner forgives them, but then every time an argument comes up, they bring up that situation over and over again, right? right. They're not fully forgiving them. Exactly. Exactly. They're keeping it alive, essentially. Right. Where does the where does the need to always be right come from? How would partners work on that if they both have this strong conviction that they're always right in every situation? Well, I think the need to always be right comes from our egos. You know, it's a it's a pride issue. It's something where we want to feel important. And I see it as more of a coping mechanism, perhaps okay. somebody that feels like their um, self-image is threatened in a way so that trying to be right all the time is just a way to make themselves look better or feel better. I think it's just mm -hmm. being self-aware of whenever you're in a position where you think that you're always right to kind of take a step back and figure out, well, is this true? Uh, am I actually, well, not to put it in a terms of right and wrong, but just as take the judgment out of it and try to actually be open and, and see the other side versus that quick judgment and conclusion, like I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, that's that's actually a really, really good point. I love that. It's not about the the right and wrong, but just the seeing each other's perspective. Right, right. Another point which we've kind of already talked about is just having a life of your own outside of the relationship um, right. and not taking a break in that sense, but just having your own interests, your own hobbies, uh, things that energize you and kind of help maintain your own identity. For people who have kids, I think it helps to take a moment and to perhaps even be away from the children, or at least have a break from your typical parental roles all the time. Again, maybe asking your partner to take over while you can take perhaps a weekend and do something for you. Again, okay. quarantine, it is a little tricky, but right. <laughs> you can still make that happen. <laughs> right. That makes a lot of sense. So how would you recommend someone to do that if, say, they're a single parent? How can they just make sure that they have that time or that they're utilizing their time as best as they can, maybe when the child's asleep or something? Right. Absolutely. It, it is a little bit harder as a single parent. Uh, I, can, I can definitely understand how it may be hard to manage your time or to really take time away from your kids if you're the main person handling all the right. parental roles. But like you said, asking somebody to come help, um, asking a trusted person, maybe a parent or anybody that you have that you know can be there even just for an hour to give you a chance to either take a nap or, or watch something on your own, whatever it may be. Somebody yeah. that you trust could just take over one role or at least a certain time of your day so you can focus on something else. Another point is to have what I call a detached involvement in your relationship. What I mean by that is to be fully invested in your relationship, but not to try to control the other person or try to control how the relationship evolves. How would someone best practice this type of a detached involvement, especially if they're aware of themselves doing that? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So the, the first point is to actually be aware of your, your mind, your emotions, where you're focusing so much. Um, I think people that are too involved or too attached focus their 
all their energy fully on the partner or a particular situation. Um, I think that leads to a lot of anxiety, the jealousy, the fear, kind of what we were talking about earlier when you have uh, a certain connection or uh, attachment to your partner, which isn't necessarily healthy. I think when you're too attached, you give away your energy too much to the other person or the situation. So it's to become aware of the emotions and to um, try to, to choose to accept things as they are with, without judgment. I mean, it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. So that way, when you take that stance, you're allowing the other person to be as they are. They're feeling more secure in the relationship because they don't feel the need that, or they don't feel like you're controlling them. Um, it's hard to do because we like certainty. So being detached yeah. is almost like you're giving up control and, and accepting uncertainty, which is scary, but that's kind of where the freedom is. I think that's where you allow things to grow naturally. Right. Yeah. I, I actually was listening to a podcast not too long ago and they explained anxiety is basically the fear for the future. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I struggle with anxiety. So it really put things into perspective because if you can just stay in the moment, mm -hmm. you won't have that much anxiety. But sometimes my mind's always thinking about tomorrow, <laughs> next week and next year. Yeah, definitely. And that's key what you said, just being present. Another point is to check in with your partner. Uh, that goes back to the lack of appreciation that sometimes people feel in relationships. I think when you check in with your partner, you're letting them know that you are um, trying to, that you notice them, that you see them, that you're being empathetic, that you are there with them because nobody's a mind reader. I mean, you can't really expect right. the other person to understand you or you to know everything about them. So just check yeah. in periodically, see how they're doing. I really, really love this practice of just checking in. For those that don't quite understand it, how would you best practice that? How do you actually check in with your partner? Uh, what's a good amount of time or how often should you be doing that? That's a really great question. Um, so checking in could be as simple as, you know, how's your day? How are you feeling? That general, you know, the quick check-ins just to try to have those opportunities to connect. But I also like the check-ins when you ask your partner, um, what do you think, how can I be a better partner for you? I think is a really great question okay. to ask because that you're inviting to say, you know, I understand our relationship may have its ups and downs, but how do you need me to show up for you? I think that's a, a really important question a lot of people don't ask because sometimes people are scared to really hear the answer for that. Yeah, <laughs> powerful question, yeah. yeah. But I think it's a good way to let the person know, like, I see you, I, I'm, I'm working on being a better partner to you and, and meeting your needs, whatever they may be. So let me know so I can try to work in that direction. Okay, so how can I show up more in the relationship? That's an awesome question. <laughs> Thank you. And then and I guess just another point is to, it's a similar point, it's to praise your partner for the things that you do like. Um, it helps to, again, let them know that you're seeing the good qualities in them, you're acknowledging them. Um, it's, you're not focusing on the negatives, you're actually creating a positive tone in the relationship by just complimenting them or telling them, I really like when you did X, or, you know, I'd love to do more of X, Y, and Z, but I'd love it when you you know, do something, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, whatever it is right. in, that, in that relationship, but just to also um, be more open about what you like about them and then also give them the compliments that they can actually receive. So 
some people may think okay. that a compliment is in their minds is something that the partner would enjoy, but really maybe your partner wants to actually uh, be acknowledged in other areas. So it's more of kind of being intuitive to see what would be something that you can compliment or praise your partner on that would actually light them up. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the five love languages. So yes. this to me sounds more like a, a words of affirmation thing. Mm -hmm. um, how would this uh, play out for maybe par partners that do not, they're not as vocal or it's kind of hard for them to express their feelings in words. How can their, their partner then feel that appreciation or that praise if the other one isn't comfortable with doing that. Right. And, and that's a good point because not everybody is comfortable with words of affirmation at least expressing that's not how they give love. It's a good point to be aware of the five love languages, you know, what you think, mm -hmm. or even have a conversation about it with your partner to see what are their love languages, but also just as important, figuring out how you tend to give love and then see how you can kind of make that work, not necessarily going outside of your comfort zone if it's something you're not fully comfortable doing, but at least doing it in a way where they can actually, it meets one of their love languages and is something that you're comfortable doing as well. So at least you're both kind of trying to meet each other halfway. Um, right. They can, you can give your love and praise, but they can also receive it as well. So if you're not comfortable praising with words, then at least even just showing them through actions or whatever it is can still go a long way. So I want to go back to, so I know that you're working towards uh, becoming a marriage and family therapist. Can you just explain a little bit more about what you want to do with that? How someone maybe can reach out to you and, and kind of get guidance, especially when they are aware of these issues that they're facing in their relationships or dealing with themselves, how they could come to you and, and how it can benefit them. Absolutely. That's, um, thank you for allowing me to, to explain a little yeah. bit. So I guess just to backtrack, I've always wanted to be a therapist. Um, so I ended up in law school down the line. So this is kind of my way of essentially backtracking into okay. being a therapist and an attorney, but I think there's Full a circle, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think this also fills a void that's missing in the legal field, um, which is the emotional aspects of divorce and, and relationships in general. So with the marriage and family therapy, I love digging into the the emotional piece of it. Um, I'm a huge proponent of self-help and you know really working on yourself and therapy. So I think it, it helps people become more self-actualized or more aware of themselves, um, which is very helpful if you decide to have a divorce because from what I've seen in my experience of working with clients is that when people haven't worked through the emotions pre-divorce, or maybe they were cheated on and they have all this rage and anger and betrayal, if they haven't worked through those issues, it shows up in the divorce, which ultimately costs the client a lot of money, a lot of time. You know, the attorneys can't handle it. Attorneys in general aren't trained to handle the emotional aspect of a divorce. So while you're venting to an attorney thinking that they're going to be able to help you with your divorce, what you're doing is actually racking up more money, more billing time because they can't help you address those issues. Or even when it comes to dividing assets and debts, sometimes people use their settlements or their negotiations as a way to get back to each other or back at each other. Um, so that doesn't help anybody. And especially if there's children, it harms the children uh, even more so. Right. So that's kind of my goal with uh, the divorce coaching to be able to work on the mindset, the emotions, the um, teaching people on what they can even expect with the divorce in the first place. Because I think people walk into it either hearing different stories or looking at how other people yeah. got divorced, assuming that's the same thing that's going to happen to them, but not necessarily. 
Um, and then with that, beyond just getting a general picture, I worked to strategize, to figure out what are their goals? What do they want from their divorce? Or how do we work with certain assets and debts and, and custody issues so that there's a win-win involved? That's my coaching in a, in a nutshell. And then beyond when all that's said and done, I help with the tips and tools and ways to help the person heal from the divorce so that when they do move forward post-divorce, that they're in a, in a really strong foundation to move forward. Okay. And then is this separate or a combination when it comes to your eight-week divorce coaching program, the Conscious Disillusion? Is that a separate entity? No, it's essentially the eight-week program in a nutshell. I mean, I've simplified it. I mean, in the program, we do go a lot more into detail with all those different modules. And each session has a heavy focus on different aspects of the, the emotions, the mindset, the legal aspects of it as well. So during the eight weeks, we're working through all of that. And it's, the whole goal is to set the person up to have an amicable divorce, perhaps a peaceful one, and save them money and time in the process. So with co- coaching, it's not, uh, it's more of a complementary service that supplements your work with an attorney. So some okay. people think I'm already hiring an attorney, why do I need a coach? But the thing is, when you work with a coach, you already do the pre-work, you figure out everything you need, and you've kind of worked through a lot of it and created this really solid win-win solution that your attorney can just go ahead and implement. I help them find their attorneys. I'll teach them how to look for the right attorney for them or even the right type of proceeding for them. I mean, a lot of people think they need to hire an attorney and go through litigation, but there are other alternatives. Great. Okay. And then for those that are dealing with uh, relationships, maybe they're not married at the moment, can they still come to you and kind of get some guidance there? Is that something we'll have to stay tuned for when you get your uh, MMT? I'm always happy to help. Um, I know that okay. is a little different from the coaching, but that is something that I'd love to be able to to help with and um, have an added service later on down the line. Great. I am so happy to have had you on. You are just abundance of knowledge here. I'm learning so many things, taking notes at the same time. Um, again, for you to find Maria on Instagram or at her website, it's Dignified Divorce Coaching. Am I leaving anything out? Um. I think the only thing, other thing that would be helpful to know is if that people are contemplating divorce or they're in a place where they would like to see if that's even an option for them. There is something on my website where they can, it's a free download, 21 questions to uh, ask yourself if you're contemplating divorce or if they've already decided they want a divorce. There's a, a, a divorce blueprint, which basically goes through everything, the roadmap of a divorce, so they get that clear idea, uh, checklists, worksheets, everything that they need to know all in one packet. So if that's something that they're interested in, or more than happy to have you go to my website, download those freebies and, you know, look forward to, um, you know, working with anybody that's interested. Right. Yeah. And you did give me some great information too, as far as your coaching goes. So again, that will be in the show notes of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. There's so much information. I, I just, I can't thank you enough for coming on and I hope I can have you on again very, very soon. Oh, well, thank you. This is amazing. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to having another session with you soon. 